but uh, locals, as you know, they have a really a very destructive capacity. It's getting worse in a way because it's spreading. Uh, in one day, they can eat, you know, several times their body weight. As my last words as Zambia is that whoever is listening to quickly come in and assist us. This week on Africa Science Focus, our main story investigates how East Africa's locust plague not only threatens the region's food supplies, but also tourism, national parks, buffalo breeding, and lions. And over the next couple of weeks, we will bring you snapshots of some of the inventions that stole the show at the 2020 Africa Prize or Engineering Innovation. That's all coming up here on Africa Science Focus, keeping you up to date with the latest in science, health, and development across the continent. I am Sally Amutabi. It takes uh, around uh, four months to grow. Lost everything, as you can really see. See, they have destroyed everything. The other side, they, are, they were full. Destroyed everything. Whatever was green, they have destroyed completely. We are around uh, 10,000 people in this location. I don't have any hope. I could hear people screaming, banging and banging, trying to chase them away, but it won't make any difference. My name is Antonio Carido. I'm the FAO representative here in Uganda. In Uganda, we have had a number of swarms that came throughout the year, and they, they have particularly been confined to the eastern part of, of Uganda. Uh, particularly, uh, we're talking the Amudat uh, region, all the way to Kitgo. Uh, those are the preferred uh, path of uh, the locusts in, as they move uh, towards the west. And now uh, the situation is that uh, the wind is pushing uh, most of the locusts towards the uh, Sudan area. Over the past two years, the Arabian Peninsula and East Africa have faced a series of major storms. In 2018, lakes formed in the Rub al-Hali desert, which created favorable conditions for locust breeding. By 2019, the largest recorded swarms in nearly a century were on the move west, traveling to Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and beyond. I'm um, uh, you know, these, these locusts are mainly on, on grassland. They now develop swarms, they move on to uh, farmers' fields. But as you know, at this time of the year, most farmers have harvested their cereal crops. And the locusts prefer to feed on cereal crops and not vegetable crops. Uh, the damage will be uh, on, on pastures. You know, this is dry season and uh, pastures, so the livestock will be competing with the locusts. A single locust swarm can contain up to 150 million insects per square kilometer. And during 2020, the east of Africa has recorded them as large as 2,400 square kilometers. Dr. Elliot Zitsanza, chief scientist at the International Red Locust Control Organization for Central and Southern Africa, says that the average swarm can consume more food in one day than 30,000 people. Alec Daka, the Director of Crop Production in Zambia's Ministry of Agriculture, 
thinks that there is a serious threat to farming in the coming months. Um, does that uh, pose a threat to the food baskets uh, that we are having in Zambia currently? Definitely that does, because uh, the locusts broke out from the Zambezi plains there, Sinhala plains. But when you look at western province of Zambia, Kalawa district and the Kazungula district are the ones that produce a lot of rice. And these are the food baskets there. And this is where now the locusts are. And at this time, as we are speaking right now, this is the time that the farmers there, small-scale farmers, start doing their winter maize. And if they were to plant their winter maize now, it means these locusts are going to eat the winter maize. And that, in its simplicity, simply says there will be food insecurity. Alec Daka, speaking to reporter Jubil Zulu in Zambia. Food security is not the only thing that is under threat by the locust plague. The Ugandan Minister of Agriculture, Animal Industries and Fisheries, Vincent Bamulangaki Simpija, tells reporter Sara Natolo of another important issue that is less commonly discussed. We have been receiving more swarms from the Kenyan side. Part affected by locusts in Kenya is equal to the size of Uganda. It's really big. They are overwhelmed and we sympathize with them. We know the Kenyan government is working too hard to control, uh, to, to, to spread the rockers. Uh, the DLCO is also doing their best, but the area is already too big for them. The threats are there because we have several swarms in Chidepo Valley National Park and some other areas, conservation areas. So those ones, we cannot spray them, we cannot kill those swarms of locusts. Why? Because tourism will be affected and, you know, other things. One swarm is really in the, that valley where the buffaloes bleed from. Lions there and the buffaloes and these other whatever have been friendly to human beings. You don't get accidents where they attack human beings. So we fear that when we spray in the national parks, we are going to change uh, that environment and get maybe these animals will be will turn against the humans. Uganda's Agriculture Minister Vincent Sempija there speaking about spraying insecticides as locust control measure. We return to Dr. Elliot and Jubil to hear what actions are being taken to combat the insect plague. So um, is the response still forecast on uh, pesticides or maybe there are other measures being used or investigated currently? So the way it works is that uh, when the when the locusts are forming swarms, then we have to immediately suppress them. And the quickest way to do that is use the pesticides. Uh, we call them conventional pesticides. But uh, if they are not yet, how we can use the safe pesticide, which takes longer to, to kill. We call it a biopesticide. That one will specifically kill the locusts and leave other other non-target organisms. So it doesn't affect biodiversity. The best time to spray the locusts is before they grow wings. But knowing where the locusts are breeding can be difficult. Africa Science Focus wanted to understand what conditions preclude locust persistence. Here is Antonio Querido, again from the Food and Agriculture Organization. What makes them move? What are the favorable conditions for them to, to, to thrive? It's weather related. Uh, as you know, 
uh, an egg of a locust can uh, survive and sustain in the desert for more than seven years. It is the environmental cue that really triggers the hatching. So once you really have a, a, a series of a good weather condition, is the combination of a really uh, good uh, pattern of rains in the, in the Horn of Africa, but also in uh, all the way to Yemen. And as you know, uh, every female can lay over 80 eggs. And imagine if you have 40 millions of them times 80, uh, you imagine uh, uh, the quantity of, of the insects that you have to handle. And once they d develop the wings, we know that they can travel over 200 kilometers in a day. Uh, Locus does not respect uh, country boundaries. So uh, most of it in terms of is reproduction behavior it happens in Sudan or in, uh, in Somalia, but then they migrate uh, towards our country, like in, in Uganda. So uh, the approach is a regional approach. So we're looking at it collectively. Climate change is increasing extreme weather and changing rainfall patterns. This is creating the perfect conditions for locusts to continue breeding. Amidst the change in weather conditions, farmers are also having to deal with the repercussions of COVID-19. Actually, COVID is, is, a, is a serious uh, drawback in, in, in planning and execution of the control operations. Uh, you may be aware that uh, these areas where locusts breed are large and extensive and uh, in some cases inaccessible by ground transport. So we have to use aircraft. Dr. Elliot Zisanza says that COVID-19 restrictions are preventing his organization's helicopter from crossing country borders. Uh, this time around we had to use a helicopter because the only plane that we have for the International Red Locust Organization is grounded. The Zambian government had released some money which was equivalent to 150,000 US dollars. The helicopter that we had asked and uh, assisted our colleagues in, in Kenya during the time when the, there was an outbreak there over the, the desert locust eventually came back to Zambia. It had to be serviced. We used that same 150,000 US dollars. We were able to do 3,800 aerial sprays and the through the motorized sprayers, we just did 96 ground sprays. That is in the Simalhala plains of Kazungula district and about 40 hectares in Karawo district. Alik Daka highlighting the importance of using aircraft when distributing pesticides across East Africa. Next up, the African Prize for Engineering Innovation gathers the most creative entrepreneurs from across the continent to see what potentially life-changing ideas they have been working on. Africa Sands Focus reporter Thoranitolo spoke to David Tusubira, one of the finalists in this year's competition, to get a sneak peek at Remote, his hardware and software system that boasts the efficiency of solar panels. Uh, my name is David Tusubira. I'm an electrical engineering graduate, currently a computer science master's student. I was genuinely interested in solar energy from when I was a kid. Um, 
And as I grew up, I was uh, very disappointed by how often solar systems would fail. Around my community and the ones that I go to see on field trips, um, which is what prompted me and my colleagues to start uh, developing technology, uh, which would end up being called remote. What are the important aspects of this innovation? Uh, remote consists of hardware and software. Hardware is uh, an Internet of Things electronic device that is installed on a solar system. It uh, communicates with our cloud platform, which we call remote, uh, where it exchanges data for performance monitoring and payment control. Our technology can be attached to any kind of solar system and not just a specific range. Is it the only of its kind in the country? Uh, so remote, yes, is unique. It's the only one of its kind, not only in the country, but in the world. We are the only people who have combined payment and performance monitoring on a platform that works on any kind of solar system. How did you identify the need for that innovation? Uh, well, in my in my surroundings, a lot of solar systems were failing. About more than half of the solar systems I knew about didn't work for as long as they should have. And while we were at Makere University, uh, we were in contact with a research organization called Creek, where we found out that they needed monitoring technology and they couldn't find one that works, which is why we started developing for them. Who are its major consumers in the country? We've already sold about 1,000 units. Uh, we have 20 solar companies in Uganda that have actually used our technology. Uh, some These include uh, Village Energy, uh, Annual Energy, uh, Uptake Africa, Power Trust, Solar Today, yeah, to mention but a few. David Tusubiru from Uganda, finishing today's show. Well, that's it. But we still want to hear from you. If you have any questions about development, science or health in Africa, then simply send us a text and we'll have an expert answer it for you. Contact us via WhatsApp on plus 254 799 042513. You can subscribe to our program, download episodes, and leave a review at www.sidev.net. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis with reports from journalists Jubil Zulu and Sarah Natolo. I'm Sally Amutavi. See you next Wednesday. This program was funded by the European Journalism Centre through the European Development Journalism Grant Program with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.